0: the church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, Sending Their Gift to the Elders by Barnabas and Saul.
1: Thanks for that, David. Um, Good morning, Pathway, as you know. My name is Ryan. And uh, we're currently as a church in the middle of a series that intently is looking at the book of Acts. Uh, this series begun quite a while ago, I believe last year, early last year. Uh, and periodically we've been diving in and out of the book of Acts for the last little while. So this morning, it's my job to guide us through this little sp- uh, passage in Acts chapter 11. But before we do, would you allow me to pray? Lord, as we look at this tiny part of one book in the Bible... Would you open our minds and our hearts to hear what you want us to hear, to respond to what you want us to respond to. May your truths and love be communicated well through what you have to say to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read this passage, a few questions came to my mind, like just how far is it between Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch? I was like, is that like saying the Bluff, Four Ways and Rook Street Mall? As David said, it's not. It's a long, long... These cities are a long way apart. So the gospel has really started to spread now. And this... They experienced gospel growth. The church in Antioch experienced gospel growth. They were unified. They were generous. And all at the hand of God. Why them? Why did God use and grow this church in Antioch? And another thought I had was this. Who on earth were these people the church in Antioch became arguably the biggest Christian missionary hub ever and is one of the most important churches ever. And it wasn't the disciples, it wasn't the apostles, it wasn't a significant bunch of believers at the time, it was planted by unnamed people. And why was the title Christian given to them there? Where on earth did that come from? Now also another thought I had was the church in Jerusalem, they heard about the growth and expansion happening in Antioch So they sent Barnabas. Was that out of excitement and woohoo, the church is growing? Or was it out of fear for the the church becoming corrupt by non-Jews? And then who was this prophet Agabus? And what on earth is this weird paragraph about a, a prophesied drought? Why is that there? Lots of questions. I hope to cover some of them this morning. Not all. For the sake of time, and you don't want to hear it all probably. So I'll say it now. If you have questions... At the end, come and find me, chat with me. I'd love to hear your perspective on things. I don't know everything and I'd love to know, bat around ideas and see how we land on some of these weird questions that I have and I'm sure you do too. So, let's make a start, shall we? It makes sense to me to look at the very first sentence or two of this passage. The believers were scattered due to the persecution as a result of Stephen's stoning. So that story of Stephen's death is actually found a few chapters back in Acts chapter 7. So you can check that out if you like. But I think it's pretty clear. So the early believers were really making waves and they were really upsetting the religious leaders of the day. So much so that their very lives were in danger. Now the persecution was that bad that they had to leave. Now as I said earlier, it wasn't a move from the four ways to the bluff or from the bluff to the Rook Street Mall, It was actually more like a move from uh, Smithton to Hobart without a car. That's a long way. So the believers left everything behind for what they believed. Now it's easy just to breeze over a verse like this. But just stop and think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. Pack everything up. Quit your job. Lose your income. Sell your home. Leave your friends. Pull your kids out of school leave your church family and then walk some 600 kilometres in order to have a fresh start, free to serve Jesus without fear of death or persecution. So persecution is not something that we're super familiar with here in Australia as we do live in relative freedom. And now, we might get made fun of occasionally or you know, made a little uncomfortable. It's very, very minor compared to what happened in other parts, in this church in Acts and in other parts of the world. So this next quote has been pulled directly off the Voice of the Martyrs website. It says this, Throughout the world today, millions of Christians are experiencing persecution for the sake of Christ. Pastors are imprisoned or killed for proclaiming the Gospel in their churches and villages. Young people flee for their lives when their families discover that they have converted to Christianity. Believers are beaten, tortured and pursued. They are falsely accused. They're threatened, abused, starved, maimed and harassed. Their homes and churches are burnt down. Their Bibles and Christian material is confiscated and their businesses destroyed. They're expelled from school and college, fired from their jobs, treated as criminals and rebels, forbidden to evangelise and forced to meet and worship in secret." So persecution happened way back in the days of Acts 11 and it happens today. Persecution drove the believers away from Jerusalem and away from everything that they knew. Their belief in Jesus caused this to happen and yet it is exactly what they continued to proclaim. That's a pretty bold move. So as a result of these unnamed believers uh, travelling to Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, a church was born. The Antioch church was planted out of persecution. The church planters left everything in order to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know why persecuted Christians often have the boldest, even the seemingly crazy faith in God? I think it can be answered by asking another question. Would you suffer for something that you don't think is true or right? Why would you risk your life or the life of those that you love for something that you're not too sure about? Persecution and hardship tends to weed out the fakes. Persecuted Christians tend to have immense faith and a thriving relationship with God. Not to say that we here in Australia can't have a good relationship with God where we might get seen as a bit weird or the odd joke thrown our way for our faith but I think it does change things there is definitely a danger for us to become too comfortable and too happy to go along with what society says is okay. Personally, I think I can say I've never been persecuted for my faith. I've been made fun of, I've been ridiculed, considered strange and made very uncomfortable for sure, but I don't think that's quite the definition of persecution. Persecution is these things, but it's a whole bunch more and it's turned up a notch or ten there's physical harm, threats upon your life, disowned by a family, loss of employment. This is the level of persecution the early church and many believers today face. Now this topic of persecution could be a whole sermon on its own but I'm afraid I'll just leave it there for now. We'll get back to it later. It's pretty safe to say that persecution and hardship causes real faith and a real relationship with God. And this is what would, this is what would have been... Sorry, this is what, uh, typo, this would have been what these unnamed believers had when they went to Antioch. Now, interestingly, and s- somewhat of a side note, in verse 20, where it talks about speaking to the Greeks and then telling them about the Lord Jesus, this, the literal wording actually refers to a conversation. That's not necessarily preaching in front of big crowds or in the synagogues, so the believers couldn't help but share their faith in their daily lives and did so conversationally. So that's a little look at who the unnamed believers were. Let's have a look at Antioch as a city. So it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was housing somewhere between half a million and 800,000 people. So conservatively speaking, you could say that's about the entire population of Tasmania. That's just in one ancient city with no sewage. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bustling place with many different cultures, people groups and religions. Antioch was also a centre for trade. It was placed strategically amongst a bunch of other big cities, I won't bore you with the names, but cities like Egypt and uh, Greece, Italy, all a big trade route city. So it was known for its filth. This city got up to some mischief. There was a lot of money to be made doing dodgy deals. There was a lot of sensual pleasures to be met. And there was a lot of people to take advantage of. So all this led to the city having quite the reputation for vile things. Now, its it's reputation for corruption even reached Rome, which was some 2,000 kilometres away. There's some old writings that are not in the Bible, but the old writings from the time have been found which said things like this. The sewage of the Syrian Orontes, that's a river that flows straight through Antioch, has long been discharged into the Tiber, And that's a river that flows through Rome. Meaning that the rubbish and filth from Antioch makes its way to Rome as well. The corruption and the the nastiness, it's all made its way to Rome as well. So Antioch was not a lovely, peaceful or nice place to be. Antioch is where corrupt fortunes were to be made and, and filthy pleasures were to be met. So let's look quickly at verse 26. It's an interesting thing to add in this section of scripture, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now this little sentence actually gives quite a lot of insight into who the believers were and what they were like in a city as vile as Antioch, but it also gives insight into what the people of Antioch were like. So the title of Christian seems to have been a nickname of sorts given to them by people outside of the church community and it was probably, in fact most likely, meant to be derogatory. It was to make fun of them. Remember, these believers were pretty likely to be a very radical bunch of people with a real faith and a real relationship with God. And they were either persecuted themselves or fleeing from it because of their faith. And here they are again in Antioch, copying it for being a Christian. So the word Christian means those of Christ. The now-named Christians got their name because they were different. They were different from the other Jews. They were different amongst the locals. They stood out in Antioch. The locals noticed and as so often happens, they made fun of them for being different. Their faith must have been visible and it must have been real to all who saw them. Their faith and what Jesus had done for them is what they shared conversationally to those they had dealings with. So now we know a little about the believers who went to Antioch in that they were persecuted for their very alive and active faith in God. We know a little bit about the city itself and how it was corrupt and not a pleasant place to be. And we know that the Antioch people liked to make fun of the Christians. How on earth did this city come to house a church that had the hand of God with them and was responsible for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Think about who these believers were and the city they were fleeing to. These believers chose to leave everything, they chose to leave their homes and their families rather than their faith in Jesus. Their faith was obviously real and the most important thing to them. They fled to a huge, bustling, filthy city full of immorality and corruption. God's hand was with them. Not because they just went to church on Sunday or just ticked the Christian box on the census form, but because they had a genuine, countercultural, alive, an active faith in Jesus Christ. Just like these believers, we too have the same good news about Jesus. Jesus died for them, which they held on to and proclaimed with everything they had. What makes us any different? We too have the best news ever. We too have the hope, satisfaction, purpose and freedom that Jesus Christ offers. We are loved by God most high, just like these Christians were. We have the best news ever. And as we'll see in a minute, we are tasked to be people who share it with everyone. So there's a theologian by the name of David Garland and he says this about the Acts Church. The sudden coming of the Spirit, the hostile persecution, the angel's appearance to a Gentile centurion, that's Cornelius who we spoke about the last couple of weeks, was all out of the believer's control. Just like the Christian message being spread through unnamed individual Christians travelling across the Roman Empire and sharing the Gospel in natural and informal ways, the Church experienced amazing growth without the benefit of impressing buildings or programs and while experiencing harsh persecution. We can learn from their example. The Church grows when every believer becomes a Gospel teller. Are you a Gospel teller? the newly named Christians were. They were not necessarily preachers and those who stood up and taught the masses, but rather a real, living and active faith in all aspects of life. They shared the Gospel conversationally and relationally, or as Garland put it, in natural and informal ways, with whoever they came across. They were Gospel tellers. We are called to do the same, Now, while Devonport isn't perhaps as filthy or corrupt as Antioch, I think we all know that there are many broken people in this community. This city needs the love of Jesus. Devonport is Pathways Antioch. Remember I said just a minute ago that we are tasked to tell everyone the good news that we have in Jesus? Well, the Bible is full of calls to become gospel tellers. For example, we have the well-known Great Commission in Matthew 28 where it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Then Psalm 105:1, 1, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Mark 16, 15, he, that's Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All these are instructions to be gospel tellers. The church in Antioch was planted by gospel tellers. The newly named Christians couldn't not share the good news of Jesus with whoever they met, even amidst persecution. It says in verse 21 that the Antioch church experienced the hand of God Pathway has seen much of God's hand at work these past years in growth with new ministries, new believers and baptisms, all of which are incredible gospel victories. And I think it's because we have a culture of gospel telling amongst the people of Pathway. Now I say this not to just hang up our hats and say, job well done guys, we're finished, but rather to encourage you all to continue. Continue being gospel tellers. Keep looking for ways to bring Christ into everyday things. And I think we can continue to expect the hand of God will be with us, as it was with the church in Antioch. So maybe this idea of being a gospel teller is a bit new to you, maybe it's not. Just ask yourself, are you a gospel teller? Is your faith countercultural? Do your workmates, your family or friends see you differently because of Christ in your life? Or does your faith tend to shrink away in the face of humiliation or hardship? Life here is fleeting. When we face taunts and jeers, uncomfortable situations for our face, look to what God values and says about you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Who cares what people think of me when I have God the king of all, creator of everything, on my side, calling me his own special person. Do you want to seek opportunities to know more of who God is or to grow your faith in him? An easy place to start is to take a look at the gospel-telling ministries that Pathway is already doing. We have Pathway Kids with the bus, Pathway Youth, Men, Women, Small Groups and The Hub. All of these are fantastic ways to be gospel-tellers. One in particular I would like to mention though is Pathway Shed. Yes, we do harp on the Shed about a lot, but it is a fantastic opportunity opportunity to show our real faith and our real relationship with the God to to the community. Or as Garland said, to become a Gospel teller. This whole ministry has come from a culture of Gospel telling within Pathway. Many people here have a heart for sharing God's love with our community. Now this has taken hold and it looks like an old shed on Talton Street now and most of the gospel telling at Pathway Shed won't be standing up the front and preaching but rather relationally, conversationally and consistently. The potential for gospel growth is enormous. Will you get amongst it? Perhaps this all sounds too big and scary, too much of a leap. When confronted with a large job, it is key to find a starting point. The starting point here is prayer. How are you doing with praying for people who don't know Jesus? Do you want to share the Gospel with these people? Pray for them, pray for your own heart, ask God to put a desire within you for opportunities to show God's love to others. Do you want to see and be a part of God's mighty hand moving in your life and in the community? We are called to have a real authentic, alive and active faith in Jesus, not just one that shows up on Sunday. Let's take up the challenge. Be a gospel teller. Lean on God and his spirit to guide us and know that we are loved, forgiven and empowered through Jesus' blood shed for us. And then wait and watch for God's powerful hand to move. Let's pray. Lord, you gave everything for us. In return, we want to give everything we have back. Help us be bold with our faith, to stand firm amidst hardship, to be gospel tellers wherever we might go, to look for your hard hand working in our lives. May we not be ashamed of you and what you have done in our lives. Lord, thanks for your grace and mercy shown us every minute of every day. Continue to lead us as we go from here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Uh, I believe we have a song.